Cheerful Shangren, Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra Lecture tonight. This is the 8th of June, Saturday night, we're in Berkeley, California. We're going to be looking into the Flower Garland Sutra, and we're going to start by reciting the name of the Sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhi. So, you'll find that on the front cover of your text. Namo da fang guang fo hua yen jing hua yen hai hui fo pu sa na da fang guang fo hua yen jing hua yen hai hui fo pu sa Namo da fang guang fo hua yen ji Hua yen hai hui fo pu sa Namo da fang guang fo hua yen ji Hua yen hai hui fo pu sa Namo da fang guang fo hua yen jing Hua yen hai hui fo pu sa Namo da fang guang fo jing Hua yen hai hui fo pu sa Namo da fang Quang Phu Hoa Yen Jing Hoa Yen Hai Hui Phu Phu Sa Please turn to page 24 and 25 in your text. And um, there are folks who have contacted me online and said, we listen to your lecture regularly and we'd like to know where the text is. Can we find it? So is there a place? Do we know? Okay. 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 Great. Okay. So those of you who are tuning in and would like to follow the text uh, on your computer, go to the Berkeley Monastery website, berkeleymonastery.org. Then go to the class listing, which is Saturday night, Avatamsaka Sutra Lecture, and you should find it there. Great. And we are, as you will see, quickly, quickly coming to the end of the fourth ground. And we'll, uh, we're in the process right now of editing the fifth ground, and that will be up soon in the same place. Great. Appreciate that. Okay, 24 and 25, we're on the next to last paragraph. Second paragraph from the bottom. Okay, we'll start with the Chinese. And 
Um, we we try our our chanting method to see if we get a feel for the verses. It's different from the prose. Rulai so ku fan nao hung. Rulai so ku fan nao hung. Yi wu yi li jie chu duan. Yi wu yi li jie chu duan. Zhi zhe ye. ye. Sounds good. To the right, let's do it. Let's recite together. Here we go. Ready? Afflicted types of behavior reproved by the Tathagata as non-beneficial, he completely cuts off. What the wise one cultivates, his purified karma, to save living beings, he does them all. Great. Okay, let's look at the Chinese. I think most everybody here has knows what we're about, so I don't have to uh, give the, the context for this part of the text. Let's take a look. Let's go right into it. Ru Lai, see the two characters there? Ru Lai is thus come or coming. And it means Tathagata. That's the Chinese translation of Tathagata, the one who has come like this. Sohe, that which warns, reproves, that which uh, does this, shakes finger in the face. That's he, to, to, to um, chastise. The Tathagata, that which chastises, Fan nao heng. Fan nao is affliction. Fan, there's a, you see the left hand side of the character fan? It's if you take a line and cut down through that character. The left side is fire. Fire, like fire when you strike the lighter. Fire and the match. Fire and the sun. The right side is head. That's, it's probably, uh, you can, that's actually, you can do the etymology with that. You can say fire in the head, meaning trouble, things that burn. When you always feel kind of like frustrated, that's, that's fire in the head. Now is actually the brain. Picture of, actually, I'm sorry, take it back. It's the right-hand side appears when you have a different left-hand side. When you have meat, then it's brain, like brain in the head. This one is now, which means trouble. It's uh, hassles, miseries. So you put the two together, fan now, and it's the word the Chinese gave for affliction, for troubles. The things that bother you, the things that are not at rest. You can't be peaceful with affliction. You have to move to deal with it. You can't just let it be. Who's, who's content to be in, in the state of the blues? You have to do something about it. So that's affliction. Rulai, tatagata, that which warned about afflicted hung behavior. So the things that the, the Buddha told us about that lead us to misery, comma, okay, hold that idea, because this is a verse in these, it's one idea, in four lines. 
以无毅力皆出传。Because 无毅力 they have no benefit. They don't help us at all. So afflicted behavior that does not help us in the least, 皆出传 entirely got rid of and cut off. 除 to cast out 断 to to it's a picture of an axe. The right hand side of that character is an axe. So it's you cut them off. You prescribe them. You stop those behaviors. The tathagata, the so. Afflicted behavior that the Buddha warned us about as being non-beneficial, he or she cuts off, stops it. That's what the Bodhisattva does. Okay. Next line, third line. 智者修行清净业 Wise person cultivates pure, purified karma behavior. So the wise person, instead of doing things that the Buddha says don't do, he because there's no because there's no good in them, he stops. And this wise person goes ahead to cultivate karma that is purified. What would that be? It's behavior that doesn't have big ego behind it. Behavior that is free of bias or agenda. That's purified. It doesn't mean purified, meaning not dirty. Dirty. What would be impure karma? Impure karma would be karma connected with greed, anger, and delusion. So things that are upside down, things that are motivated by hate, things that are just basically wrong because they don't—they're not supported in in the world. Superstition would be one of those things. The bodhisattva would. Uh, not cultivate that kind of karma because it's not pure. We do 众生无不做 in order to do. There's our power word to cross over, to take across, to to teach, to save 众生 multiply born, meaning living beings 无不做 none not do. Cherry. Why is okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. You're 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 right there. Does anger itself have karma? You mean impure, bu qingjing? Okay, good question. So Jerry's question was, what about anger? Why does why is anger considered impure? Well, you answered your question yourself because it's an emotion, and what's wrong with emotion? Aren't emotions helpful and make life worth living and all?、Um, from the Buddha's, from the I won't quote the Buddha. I'll just say from my own experience, emotion is thought that moves. Emovere in Latin, it's motion, moving from. Okay, what's wrong with things that move? Thoughts that move, because they're not reliable. It's 
Okay, let's look at the skandhas. Right? We talked about them last week. First one is the body. Clear? Second one is where anger lives. The second skanda is the feeling skanda. And what happens when we get angry? I mean, I, I can tell you because I've experienced it. I know what anger is about. And when I get angry, um, I can feel it. I can locate it in my body. Usually it starts in the gut. It's here. I can feel it move. And I can al- I almost feel it kind of go flip. And it spreads. And my heartbeat really, anger moves fast. Pretty quickly, my heart starts beating fast. And often I can feel it in the back of my throat. And some, I can feel my face getting red. And it's a profound physical change that comes with an emotion. So I'll give an example. Um, somebody, I saw somebody uh, about to um, uh, throw a dog into traffic. They'd picked the dog up and they were going to throw it into the moving cars. And it was so obviously wrong. And the, it, it was just, it was a human, it was a human act. You know, no other species kills by choice just to see it die, you know. This guy was going to throw a dog into traffic. And I was, I couldn't do anything about it because I was too far away and I, the no, noise of the traffic, I, you know, I couldn't hear my voice. And, the futility of it and the seeing of the dog. The dog was so terrified, you know, and people are, shouldn't behave like this. They're people, they're dog's friends, right? We get along together. The dog was terrified and it just pushed a button in me and I felt all those changes happen, especially because I was frustrated. And part of my mind was saying, this is inappropriate for you to get angry. Furthermore, it's not going to work. It's not going to help anything. Excuse me. It's it's a loser in every in every you know uh, no matter how you how you look at it this is not effective not useful to you or to the situation. So when I felt that rise, what I realized was the anger inside kind of smoked my wisdom. It created a cloud over my choices. Once the anger moved, it was strong. It, uh, it had a physical, it, was, it wasn't just a thought, it was a thought plus. It was a thought plus body. Why? Second skanda. Both emotion, which is kind of moving, and sensation, which is clearly rooted in the flesh and blood. So that's, that's where emotion lives, and anger is a prime one because it moves so fast and it has these changes. So it's both thought and body. Okay, when that rose, I realized it was going to take a while for me to regain my clarity because it generated, it's as if, um, okay, here's a perfect example. We have a camera here in front of us, all right, very nice camera. And when it's set up precisely, it renders clearly the image in front of me. If you take a thumbprint and smear it across the lens, spit on the lens and smear it, you know? Then you go, oh my God, the image that's being rendered now is going to be distorted. My anger did that to my mind. Right? Minutes before that guy was about to throw the dog into traffic, by the way, he didn't. 
um, I was clear, and I had many choices. I could see this or this. That makes sense. This makes sense. What's the right thing to do? You can judge. As soon as the anger moved, I had one choice, which was to go in the direction to stop what was happening. Force. I wanted to overpower the guy and stop it at any cost. Now, that's why anger is impure. From the Buddhist point of view, it obstructs wisdom. It replaces wisdom. Because where does the anger come from? The same place as the wisdom. Only one is used with affliction, and the other is used with clarity. You know, So that's the answer. It's because of what it does to your wisdom. In, in one sentence. Why is anger considered impure? It's because it clouds your wisdom. You move with anger. It reduces choices. It, it leads to violence. If that guy had been close to me, if I could have reached him, I would have, you know, intervened. I just saved the dog. And who knows what would have happened then? You know, fist fight with a monk on the freeway, you know. Not so good, you know. But if you'd told me to not do that, I would have said, get out of my way. I'm going to stop that, you know, because it was wrong. And the poor dog, you know, all the reasons, but still it was going to move me into action, and that's not not right. So does that make sense? You want, do you want to respond to that? Okay. The phrase, the traditional phrase is qi huo zao ye What's wrong with karma? Nothing's wrong with bad karma. It's what happens after you create the bad karma that you don't want. Right? The first is qi huo. You, you do, you act, delusion rises. And the affliction is considered the delusion part. Anger is huo, you know, yi huo, delusion. So once delusion rises, zao ye, then you act. And it's not for sure that it's going to be bad karma. Mostly, it'll be unwise karma. And what happens after you do the deed? Shogobao. So there's a two-link, you know, step, step, step. Once you chi huo, once you get, give, once delusion rises, pretty much you're going to act. You know, then shogobao. Then the re- retribution comes. So uh, you can apply that to lust. You know, you see a beautiful form and you're moved into action and then you think how could I possibly have done that you know and at the time it seemed great we were drunk and dancing and it you know you write your story so uh, greed is the same you know you don't need that extra right in your item that extra Prada bag because why you've got a Gucci and a Lomban and a you know a Hermes and you've got a you have those bags, Ming Pai, head to toe. You know, you got plenty. But you see the new Prada bag and you think, wow, that's right out of Hong Kong. That's probably the only one in Burlingame with that bag. You know, <laughs> check your balance. You know, it's only $3,000, you know. So you go for it. That's greed. And if you hadn't seen it, the minute before you saw it, everything was fine. You're just, that didn't exist in your mind, you know. You see it, oh, qi huo zao ye shogo. Then you go home and you discover well, that's your spending money for a month. You know, you bought the bag and you got three just like it in the closet, you know. So, that's the idea. Is that, yeah. So, 
you could say, what's wrong with greed, anger? What's wrong with delusion? Nothing. What's wrong with karma? Nothing. It's the rewards that when it comes down, we go, oh my God, how could I have possibly done that? So what do they say? The bodhisattva is extremely cautious with the causes. But when the rewards come, he's totally okay with it. Living beings are totally careless with the causes. But when the reward comes, we're like, oh no, how could this happen? Poor me, ah, tienna, tienna. You know, heaven is so unfair to me. Because why? We don't pay attention when we plant the seed. So, okay. Yeah, good, good question. So, let's put, oh yes. Okay, tell me your name. Anna. Okay, go for it. Okay, good. Okay, and and with my answer, you can ask back if I don't satisfy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You get your money. Get your money's worth with these questions. Make sure. <laughs> Question was: Is repressing those emotions the way to deal with it? And the the understanding being, it must not be the way to do it. What do we What do we do? Of course, trying to repress anger leads to, can lead to, you know, high blood pressure and ulcers and the anger tends to leak out the side. It's kind of like turning a hose on full and then putting your thumb over the hose, right? The water squirts out the side. What's the most effective way to do it? The Buddhas, and, and I could give you probably the rest of the lecture and a week full of methods for transforming anger. That's one of our topics that we talk about a lot. This is not the forum to do that, but I'll just talk in principle. The Buddha's method was recognize it. Recognize as the anger rises and trace it back. See clearly where anger came from. Anger is the second step. What's the first step? Almost always desire. Or greed. It's the the Buddha's formula was tan chen chi greed anger stupidity. What Jerry we're talking about the stupidity part and then the rewards of stupidity. But if you trace take a step back you're back with the anger. Where does the anger come from? It's a result. Anger is a result. It doesn't arise independently. Anger is a result usually of frustrated desire. Most often. Somebody gets the rewards that you think you ought to get. What was the desire? Fame. Being liked. Face. Pride. All those things. If you, you think you ought to get it and you don't, anger. So you go, okay, fate, pride. Why did she get the first prize and I, who deserve it more, got honorable mention? You know, second place, third place. So you go, why do I think I need that reward? Well, because I've always fought with my sister and my sister always got all the attention and I don't like being ignored. Okay, that's true and that's real. So is it worth getting angry? 
Probably not. Why? Because I really love my sister and I'm happy when she gets rewards too. But maybe I can let this one go. No greed for fame, no anger, no, no regrets. When you, right? So the Buddha's method is recognize the cause of the anger. When you see it clearly, often it puts the fire out. If you just say, like, if you really give your anger lots of dignity, oh, my anger is really important to me, I really love my anger, and I love being an angry, powerful person because I can destroy stuff. There's not much hope. You can't do much about that. You know, don't be afraid of your anger. Anger is a, co- is a result of a cause. It's step two. So if you can trace it back. Now, you know, the lawyer in you will go, yeah, but what about righteous anger? Sometimes anger is correct. Sometimes you see injustice and you want to go out and be Robin Hood and, you know, you want to get out there and save the day and be Superman, superhero. Yeah, there is injustice in the world. And a cult, the, the Buddha would say, you know, take a look at your anger. Where did it get you last time? Check it out. You know, well, yeah, I remember last time I, you know, I grabbed that placard and I went out and just demonstrated and I shouted myself hoarse and I got tear gassed and I was on the news and my boss saw my picture in the demonstration. I got fired, you know, and I, and on and on, and nothing changed. In fact, it brought on more repression, you know, because, so you go, maybe instead of getting angry, if I went door to door and talked to all my neighbors and got, you know, used logic to change their thinking and voted the bastards out of office, you know. That was much more effective than, you know, holding the plaque. So, you, you know, there's a way to work with it. Righteous anger itself is you choose. These descriptions, Jerry's question, your question, are given from the point of view of meditators. The Buddha is not just saying anger is bad. He's saying, do you want to get to wisdom? If you do, you need samadhi. How do you get to samadhi? Through character. Character, concentration, insight. Once you set foot on the spiritual path, once you say, I'm very interested in doing what the Buddha did, in getting liberated from birth and death, in ending affliction, I'm really interested in that. At that point, this teaching about anger being not a good idea, a poison, that suddenly makes sense. Right? So if, now, okay, are you out demonstrating with your sign, you know, down with, right? Or you're throwing tear gas canisters back at the Turkish police. Or who knows in America, we may, it could happen any time, you know. At that point, you have to decide, this is more important for me to be righteous in the streets than to be sitting still, ending birth and death. Because the standards of the meditator do not apply to righteous anger. All right? Once you go to righteous anger, you've pretty much said, I don't care what happens to my samadhi. Right? Okay, let's, let's bring it back from the demonstration. What about your kid? Suppose your kid behaves in a way that totally gets you angry because the kid is outrageous. You know, the kid is, he knows your buttons and he's pushing it on purpose, or she is. She really is out of line. And it's right to be angry. You're the mom. You know, you're the dad. You have to decide. It's really hard to be angry and 
to be in samadhi at the same time. It's hard. So that's why monastics don't have kids. <laughs> right? Honestly. And, I mean, when I see students, I don't have disciples, when I see students misbehaving, I can go, that's your karma. I go upstairs and meditate, you know. <laughs> it's like, good luck, you know. So, once you have kids, it, like anger is pretty hard to avoid sometimes. But it's not always. There's also joy, you know. There's also pride and all. So, my, by saying it this way, what I'm saying is, the Buddha was not making existential statements. Anger is a poison. It's a bad thing. He's saying, if you want to enter samadhi, don't fight. Fighting is the attitude of victory and defeat. It stands in opposition to the way, to the Tao. Furthermore, it creates the, the mind that has four marks in it. Where is your samadhi going to come from when you're angry? So fighting and anger, I'm equating here. So, so fighting, fighting is the anger of victory and defeat. Stands in opposition to the Tao. Okay, think of our sage, all right? The traditional, let's say, Chinese sage. We don't have any American sages to point to yet. But think of, okay, St. Francis, all right? St. Francis. I don't know if you all resonate with St. Francis. Probably not so much. Okay, how about, let's say, uh, could we borrow one of these guys? These guys don't get enough airtime, right? These are our Taoist friends over here on the, on the organ, right? So we have five Taoist sages. Okay. Pick a sage, any sage, all right? Pick the, the second, third guy in a line there. He's got this beard, he's standing there, you know. And he doesn't look like he's angry all the time, right? What's he like? He's like, okay, that's all right. Yeah, you know, go with the flow, dude. Chill, you know. He's not upset. Because why? He doesn't want to get angry. He's saving, he's protecting his samadhi from emotion. Because he knows that that is hard to get. Samadhi takes lots and to- lots of time, lots of work, lots of concentration. You have to let a lot of stuff go. In order to get real samadhi, which then leads to wisdom, you have to let a lot of stuff go. Look at Siddhartha. Man, what did Siddhartha let go? The world, right? The prince let the world go. He could have had anything. And he had everything. And he let it go. Because why? He said, when the time comes, if I can get real samadhi, I have a pearl. A priceless pearl. Right? Shifu has a great poem. I don't think I can do it. Uh, Patience is a precious jewel, but nobody knows how to use it. So, answer two to your question. What do you do when the emotion arises? The answer is, you don't repress it, you wait it out. You use patience. Patience is this underappreciated virtue. It's it's exactly given to transfer anger, to transform anger. Okay? So, Shurfa would often say, we're talking about fun now, affliction in this verse. Shurfa would say, if we didn't have 84,000 kinds of troubles, we wouldn't need 84,000 kinds of Buddha Dharma. What is the purpose of Buddha Dharma? It is for transforming affliction. It's medicine. 
What's the affliction? What's the medicine for anger? Patience. Okay. Now again, remember my formula, which was these are given for cultivators. These ideas, not for just any old body, right? If you're on the spiritual path, this stuff is important. If you're not, it's just interesting, not important. Okay. What did what did Shifu say? What did the Buddha say? He said, you have to be able to see your thoughts before any of this work. Why do we meditate? So we can catch the anger rising. If your mind is like totally like a Budweiser commercial, you know, like grab for all the gusto you can get, you know, fill him up again, you know, like you're not going to see your anger rising. It's just another thought. It feels good to get angry. Bam! You know, feels good. Bam! Oh, doesn't feel good. You know, so that's instinctual man, woman, you know. Once you start to cultivate, you bit by bit calm that down. When anger moves, you see it and you go, nope, not. You have to be quick with anger. You've got to catch it as it moves and say, not this time. I've gone with that every time and I remember what happened last time. She didn't talk to me for a week, right? He saw me at my ugliest. You ever look at your face when, in the mirror when you're really angry? It's like, not pretty, you know. All this stuff, angles come out. Not pretty, black, green, red, you know. So you say, I remember, not this time. I'm going to hold it this time. And it's not repression. Repression won't work. It's the thumb over the hose. You go, no, that's it. I am not angry. There's an angry thought in my mind. Fundamentally, I'm neither angry nor not angry. But that's an angry thought, and it stinks. And I'm going to let it go. And if you can wait and wait and wait, usually you have to wait like five times. You know, three times won't do it. That fourth one, boom, you know. Wait, I'm going to wait. Patience, patience, got to have patience. Don't get angry. Wait, wait. Gone. You know. So it's, there's no magic. It's just you kind of have to respond fast to anger and be really calm. And I'm not going to do it this time. And it, you have to get angry a bunch of times before you catch on to that thing, you know. But boy, after you feel angry, not much, not much virtue left. And Sherpa would say, well, it'll come back, but you've got to start over again. And uh, so I'm, you know, you can hear, I've got lots of angry dharma, non, non-angry dharma. One, uh, one night at Gold Mountain Monastery, translating for Sherpa, he said, um, uh, he gave a poem, he gave an anti-anger poem. It was great. Uh, he said, well, I, I can't, I'll have to, I don't want to make it up. Um, he gave, there was a story why he said it then. It was like he's, somebody, I think what it was, and I don't have any other colleague here to ask, so it, I think it was, um, Shifu said that his, one of his karmic debtors came. Somebody who, to whom Shurfu owed a life. He had killed somebody in the past. And this person was coming for him. And 
Sherpa said, he, he told us this, and of course we couldn't see it, but he said, anger, I was translating, and he looked over, he said, Gojani, he said, anger is really not a good thing. Do you believe me? I'm going, yes, Sherpa. You know, I believe you, Sherpa. What are you talking about, Sherpa? You know, anger is not good, Gojan. He said, um, he said, in the past, my fire of anger, fire of ignorance, in the past, the fire of my ignorance blazed up higher than heaven. It burned completely my forest of merit and virtue, and now all I have left is the bitter rewards, the bitter retribution. Right? In the past, my, and he, there's a, a phrase in there, Wu Ming That's interesting. The fire of ignorance. And so, Anna, right? With your question, one, one Dharma to look into would be the fire of ignorance. That's very interesting. It's like, why did you get angry? A lot of the time, the answer is, I just don't even know. But I just felt angry a lot. You know, so where does the fire of ignorance? He said, Ignorance is that covering in our minds that like we don't really know. And it's a mix of desire and ego and self, jealousy, fear, all those emotional states based on unclarity contribute to anger. So, came out my in the past my fire of ignorance blazed up higher than the heavens in other words you got really angry it burned up my forest of merit and virtue okay key idea the idea is that when we're cultivating right when we're practicing the spiritual path we are accumulating gongda merit and virtue what that means is that we're uncovering our own nature, that we have this wisdom nature that we cultivate. It's like, like a garden, a beautiful garden. And the flowers come up and the fruits come up. But what happens when you get angry is you burn it off. It's fire. That anger is just like... And as Shifu told the verse, he said... Uh, Let's see, how does it, I can translate it. It's the, the, the kindling, the, 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 the wood of merit and virtue gathered over a hundred days burns down with a single spark of anger. So I don't, that's not right in Chinese. But all of the hard work that you cultivate over a hundred days of wood gathering goes up in a single spark. <laughs> Gone. Right? Now, we go up to Oregon every year. And uh, it's when you go by on Highway 101 and you look at the highway, at the forest on the left and right, it looks pretty good. When you turn off Highway 1 and go in the back roads, 
you see where the forest has been clear cut? The timber companies don't do it up to the highway. Bad PR for them. Because clear cut forests are pretty terrifying. They're just all of the living stuff has been shaved down. One year we went up and a forest fire had been through what had been clear cut. And oh my God, I'd never seen the aftermath of a forest fire. Everything not only didn't grow, it was charred. It was ashes. And you just looked and you thought, there's nothing green here. There's no water. There's not a blade of grass. There's not an animal. There's not a bird. Now, in reality, forests actually, don't, don't, you don't have to quote me, but forests benefit from occasional forest fires. Not when they're clear-cut. This was a clear-cut forest fire. And it was really clear that maybe grass would grow back, but the forest might grow back in 100 years, maybe not, you know. When I saw that, I understood Shurfu's verse. It burned away your forest of merit and virtue. And that's the inside of your mind after a really good anger fit. If you let it go, if you indulge your anger and blast somebody, you're burning off your merit. And where's your wisdom? Kind of back to zero. You start over. And you, you can cultivate it again, but it's, it grows slowly. You know, And so here's my bitter reward. When you get really, really angry, the result is you don't see straight for a while. Something that before you'd be able to make the right decision, now you're kind of at a loss because your mirror is all smudged and distorted. The mirror that you look in to get the right answer, you know, meaning your mind. So that's kind of how, to, you know, repressing doesn't do it. You go to the heart of it, you go to the, the cause of it, and then you wait it out. You, ref- you tell yourself, I'm not going to get angry this time. I'll find another way. I'll be patient instead. Okay? Does that make sense? Sounds pretty tough. Today we, we had a really good uh, uh, Dharma talk at lunch by Mr. Ha, our 90-year-old Dharma, Dharma friend. And he quoted, um, we heard from him and also from Mrs. Han, our 90-year-old Chinese teacher. And uh, they had a lot of 90-year-old wisdom today. It was pretty good. Mrs. Han quoted Maitreya Bodhisattva's verse. And Maitreya is the, the Bodhisattva with the big belly, you know, my, the, the laughing Buddha, the fat Buddha, you know, the happy Buddha, they call him. He's not. He's not a Buddha yet. He's a Bodhisattva. So why is he fat? It's not because of high fructose corn syrup, you know. It's not because he eats like, three Big Macs for lunch. It's because he is able to hold all of that emotion without erupting. The, the verse that we heard at noon was, His stomach is big because he can hold all the things in the world that are hard to endure. He can hold on to them without blasting. So he has this capacity. The word is capacity to hold. Kaiko Vienshao, he opens his mouth and smiles and laughs. He laughs at all the people in the world who are really worth laughing at because they're ridiculous. Right? He laughs at all the people who are laughable because they're chasing the dream. They're lost in the, 
the, the cultural trance. So that's Maitreya. So he's, he, has, he can not get angry. So when I get angry, just before I get angry, if I'm doing good, if I'm watching my mind, I think of Maitreya. And I think, if he can do it, I can do it. Hang on, don't get angry, because the result is a forest fire. Think, remember Oregon forest, burned down, clear cut, nothing grows. You go, I don't want to be there. It was a terrible, I want to get out of there so bad, because just as far as you can see, over the hill, over the mountain, there's just some, like, shaved black. You know, you think, this is not what God, this is not what the Buddha gave us. Why do people do this? Boy, I've, the more I looked at that clear-cut burned forest, the angrier I got. <laughs> it didn't really help because it made me, it's like, who would do this? Who would be so selfish? They would think this is the right thing to do. <clears throat> Clear, cut it down so it never grows again. I mean, it will over 120, 200 years, but it's not. Meanwhile, you know, humans are these two-legged, bald bipeds, pathetic. That forest is full of teeming with trillions of lives, you know. One human, all right, cut it down, Joe. That's that. When you see it from a plane, you go, what happened? The earth is sick. Oh, that's just Weyerhaeuser, yeah. Well, who told him to do that? Well, I think he lives in Texas. Absentee landlord. He's on a yacht somewhere near Bimini, you know. Yeah. You want to just slap him and say, wait, did your mother teach you? Does your mother know you did that? Somebody spank this person and send him to his room. Grow up. Jesus, humans are a blight. Remember in the Matrix where Agent Smith says to, says to Morpheus? <laughs> you know what I'm referring to? One of my favorite quotes. Agent Smith says, I have observed that there is an organism similar to humans. Do you know what it is? A virus. <laughs> Killing everything in its path. You know. Ah. So, let's move on to our next... Don't get me started on anger, all right? So, <laughs> where were we? <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Okay, next line. Pusa chin xiao bu xie dai, ji de shi xin jie ju zu. Zhuan qiu fu dao wu yan juan, zhi qi shou zhi, du zhong sheng. Pusa chin xiao bu xie dai, ji de shi xin jie ju zu. Zhuan qiu fu dao wu yan juan, the Bodhisattva cultivates diligently. He is never lax or lazy. She promptly attains ten mind sets and perfects them all. Intently seeking Buddhahood, she never tires or wearies, determined to ascend to rescue living beings. All right, look at the Chinese here. Pusa, Bodhisattva, Qin Xiao, vigorously cultivates, Bu Xiedai, Never gets lax, never slows down. Qi, the, and right then, at that point, the shi xin gets ten mindsets. That's our, that's the choice we made for xin. Jie jitsu, all of them are perfect. Uh, chuan, 
specifically, uniquely, only, Chou seeks for Dao. The Buddha's path, Wuyanjuan, never tires of it, never gets tired. Zhi Qi, will is set. The intention to expect Shou Zhi, to get the call, Du Zhongsheng, to rescue, to save living beings. Shouzhi, that's a very interesting idea, to receive the kind of the um, deputization, to be deputized, to get the call, we say, to receive the, um, um, what's the word, the mission, to completely expect, his will is expecting to be asked, to be appointed to go rescue living beings, determined to ascend. Yeah. So the bodhisattva cultivates hard, never gets lax, because why? Number four is vigor. This is the virya paramita, the, the jingjin boromi, the, the vigor paramita, the perfection of vigor. And right on the spot, ten of those resolves. And we spent a lot of time, I was in Australia during that time that we went through those with the help of the, the novices, the nuns who came. Um, seeking the Buddha's path, never fatigued or wearied, never gets tired of it, and determined to get the, the call to rescue living beings. Okay, you want to look at that third line, Dao. That word Dao here, is very interesting. It's the the Chinese. There's a whole kind of study of what happened when Buddhism came to China. A lot of people have written books, studied it. What happened? The Chinese already had Taoism, and they had Confucianism, and they had indigenous Chinese religion. So when they started translating these words, they didn't have to start from scratch. They already had a set of vocabulary. Was it the same thing? Notice they used the word Tao for what probably came across as Marga, M-A-R-G-A. Marga means path. It's a road, right? This is McKinley Marga, um, among other, other translations for Marga. So the Buddha's path, the Buddha's Tao, I spent a whole uh, week of my class at Bond interpreting the word Tao. That's one of my topics. Introducing the Buddha Dharma to these undergraduates at Bond University this year. And it was fun because Tao is a big, rich word slash idea. And... It's not entirely Chinese, but the Chinese developed it in a way that most other cultures kind of hint at, but don't have the whole thing. When you compare the Tao with God, you get some real interesting overlaps in no, no connections. It works in some ways, it doesn't work in other ways. What is the Tao? Does it create? It does. But it's not a being. 
The Tao is like a function. And yet, if, it, if it's so, the Chinese take it to be essential to the human understanding of what's going on in us, around us. If it's so basic, how come Plato didn't talk about it? How come Aristotle didn't talk about it? How come uh, Copernicus didn't talk about the Tao? Why didn't Einstein talk about the Tao? You know, if it's so basic. It's a wonderful, powerful, evocative, rich concept that first time I heard it, I was 14 years old, I knew I was going to look at this the rest of my life. This is an idea worth spreading. You know, TED online, the TED conference, TED, ideas worth spreading. The Tao is an idea worth spreading. And the um, Shifu, Master Shenhua, spent a lot of time sharing the Tao with us. Not hidden in Buddhist ideas, but out front, not Taoist either. They're not, he didn't say this is a Taoist idea. The Taoists don't own the Tao. The Taoist body of learning, of knowledge, was people who wanted to talk about the Tao. They didn't give it the Buddha's spin, but it's the same Tao they're talking about. And it's a central core concept. So here is Buddha Tao. It's a road. It's a path. And you walk it. To make it work, you have to walk it. You have to actually set foot on it and do it. But as soon as you do, there it is. Furthermore, one of the lines from the Tao Te Ching, or one of the ones that Shifu used to quote all the time was, You can't leave it behind for even an instant. That's one of the things about the Tao. You're, we are never out of the Tao. It's, you can't leave it behind for an instant. And yet, as the Tao Te Ching says, ordinary people, ignorant people, when you talk about the Tao, laugh at it and run the other way. Okay? Because ordinary people, it's just like, what are you talking about? Some mysterious, invisible power that sets heaven and earth apart? Nah, I don't think so. Middling people, so that's the ordinary common person. People with some intelligence hear it and have doubts. They don't laugh at it, but they doubt it. Right? It's like, nah, I'm not so sure. Prove it. They don't deny it, but they don't get it either. People with the highest faculties, people with wisdom, as soon as they hear about it, immediately put it into practice. And when you, when you start paying attention to the Tao, and then you look through that lens at the things that Shifu did, Master Shenhua, suddenly you get an amazing focus. And some of the things that our teacher did that otherwise would be kind of inexplicable, unexplainable, once you see it through the Tao, it's like, I get it. I know why Sherpa did that. Sudden reversals 
you know, saying one thing and then completely contradicting himself and teaching and doing this over here. Why the Tao goes like this? The way wanders. The Tao sometimes stops still. Sometimes it goes back. The Tao follows conditions. They call it the watercourse way. How does a stream go downhill? You ever see a stream start at the top and go downhill? It goes like this. Now it's hidden. Now now it's a waterfall. Streams do that. The Tao accords. Right? So it's, it's a wonderful concept. And it's more than a concept. It's a wonderful principle. And when people, as I was trying to explain it to my students at Bond, say it's when... If, when if I have to define it in a sentence, it's the way things really are between heaven and earth before words and thoughts. Before you can think about things, before you can talk about things, there is a way things are. But our words and our thoughts get in the way and make us believe that it's not what's going on. Right? If you don't believe it, just look at Congress. <laughs> when you have otherwise perfectly sane and reasonable people who have to obstruct the president on principle because they can't agree because it's him, no matter whether what their charge, that their response, their responsi- their responsibility, their duty is to serve people, and yet they will turn their back on that in order to thwart the president because of who he is, you go, that's wrong. You know, That's not the way things are before thinking and words. That's a perfect example. The idea that we can pay for weapons that destroy our bodies, but we will not pay for things that keep grandma healthy without costing an arm and a leg. One of our members of our community went to the hospital for four days to to take care of a smashed bone. The bill for the hospital stay was $90,000. I heard about that today. Four nights in the hospital just to get a broken bone taken care of. 90, 90, 000 period, zero, zero dollars. 90,000, four nights. You go, that's wrong. <laughs> when in Taiwan, the very same procedure in Taiwan, $5. Why? Single payer. In Taiwan, they go, yeah, we need to take care of our bodies. Who doesn't have one? Oh, you're sick? Oh, let me help you out here. Five. Five dollars. Minus 90, zero, 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 zero. Thousand dollars. And guess what? He's uninsured. What will happen? We don't know yet. But his fate is in the hands of bean counters. Okay, that's the way things aren't. (laughs) That's, you know, what's natural? Natural is, oh my God, you're hurting. Let's see if we can help you. Why? Because we can. We know how. I'm not hurt. You're hurting. Let's help you. Because why? You're us. And that will come for me later. That's the way things are. We look at this little tiny planet, you know, spinning through space. 
the Hubble Deep Space Probe, right? They turned the Hubble telescope into a corner of the sky where there was nothing they could see, and they gave it 11 days of passes around, right? And they, it was a total experiment because it was a dark space, corner, you know? They said, let's see. It was kind of astronomers having fun, you know? It kind of a bet, you know? Let's see if there's anything out there. So they, they took a, a, an angle of the sky that was about that big and focused the Hubble on it. Every time it went around as it circles, orbits, you know? Every time it came back, they shot it. And they took, did it for 11 days until they mapped it. They discovered a hundred billion galaxies out there. Each galaxy, as big as our entire galaxy, everything we can see, a hundred billion of them in this corner of space where to this time they said there's nothing there. And further, they saw from that vision, they, they gained knowledge of how fast the universe is expanding. The, the light that we see in that infinite tiny corner of the galaxy, of the universe that has a hundred billion galaxies in it that they can see, the light that comes like a photon. Here's, here's Hubble. Let's say this is Hubble's, you know, when you go click with your camera, there's a little sensor, there's an electronic ch- charged, you know, sensor, like a chip. Okay, let's say this is Hubble's chip. One photon came, hit. They took a picture of it. That photon that hit started from the thing we saw, what was it? A uh, hundred million light years before we were born. It took that long for that single beam of light to come and hit. That's how old that corner, you know. So there we go. And here's our planet, you know, this, <laughs> rotating around our sun. You know, where there's Sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Pluto's not a planet. That's us, okay? And yet, we can't get our way around helping a man whose leg broke. We'll charge him $90,000 to fix his leg. But over there, five bucks, okay? And that's the way it is. We are funny. That's called fire of ignorance. That's not the Tao. And that's deluded. You know, right there. There's delusion right there. You go, something's wrong with that. So what do you do? You try to use the Tao as your standard. Where do you go for the Tao? Well, you can go to wise voices, wisdom there, without ignorance. You can go to your heart, but sometimes our heart is not trustworthy. You know, we're deluded. So you have to go to the mind in samadhi. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. You go to principle. You go to dharma. What should we do? Well, how about the golden rule for a start? Don't do to other people what you don't want to have happen to you. Do unto others that you want to come back. I like that. That rings, you know, there's the Tao at work, golden rule. Every culture, every, 
Every age goes, yeah, golden rim makes sense. Why? Because we're connected. Okay, good. There's a good one. Just stick with that one for a while. You know, kindness, the universe seems to like kindness because things grow. Life, life continues. That's a good thing. Right? Heaven and nature has this gift for life. So there you go. There's the Tao at work. And so when I hear Fo Tao, the Buddha's path, the Buddha's path is two things. Wisdom and blessings. Complete. So wisdom sees through to the emptiness of things and blessings wants to help. Blessings wants to make it happy. Those are two things. They show our our yen. So the two kinds of adornments are wisdom and blessings. The Buddha is complete in wisdom and complete in blessing. That's the Buddhist path. And it's hard to get to that place, right? Hard to get to that perfection of them. We see it every now and then, and then it's gone. We see it, and it's gone. But that's the path. And as you walk it, it opens. So Shurfa would always say, you know, if you are a Buddha in a single, if you have a single thought of Buddha, then that's the path. If in thought after thought you're a Buddha, then that's the fruition of the path. There's the path and its fruit. Okay, we're getting a little away from the sutra, but yeah, Connie. Your voice is entirely too quiet. You have to actually speak out if you want me to hear you. Can't hear you, sorry. It's going away again. <laughs> is it something as compassion? Nope, different. Go go ahead. You can ask it again. Everybody can hear you. Was that a question? Did I get it right? When you're when I'm talking about blessings, no, I'm not. Okay. You're, that's a good question. Why? There are two lists of the two things that the Buddha is. And it's hard to, you have to, I only gave you one of them. The Buddha is complete in wisdom and blessings. He's called Liang Zhu, Zun, the doubly perfected honored one. He's perfect in wisdom. That is to say, he can see through things, through with emptiness, to where they, nothing is, together forever, right? He's also perfect in blessings, meaning he, his, his benefiting of beings is also, although he sees the emptiness, he still doesn't stand still when he sees dogs being thrown into traffic. That's one. The second, though, is the Buddha also has wisdom and compassion. That's a separate pair of two, right? The Buddha has great wisdom, and when you flip that over, it's great compassion. It sounds like blessings, and it functions like blessings, but it's blessings is action, compassion is seeing. Guan Yin Bodhisattva, Guan Shi Yin, observes the sounds and feels compassion, but the blessings happens when you get into action and you go out and help. I always thought blessing was like the result of what you... It is. Right. Compassion is the reason why you go out and do blessings. Create, you plant blessings. 
Compassion sees the connection. Blessings goes and ends the suffering by making happy. Okay, good question. Somebody's paying attention. See? Okay. Can we do one more? We gotta, otherwise, turn over there. 26-27 He reverses honored virtuous ones and cultivates their dharmas. He knows kindness, is easily instructed, and without annoyance. He abandons pride, does not flatter, is tamed and compliant in mind. He increases in vigor and reaches no further retreat. So when somebody has cultivated to this point, their character changes. They get really soft. Um, let's look at the text here. This is like a, a list of qualities. What, what is this, what's a bodhisattva who cultivates like? Gong Jing, Zunda, he or she is very respectful to people who have cultivated. They're, they pay attention to people who have virtue. Xiu Xing Fa, and cultivates the methods not desires, not instinct. They cultivate fa, methods, dharmas, ways to cultivate. Chiran, he recognizes, she recognizes kindness that has been done for them. Yihui, they are easy to teach. They're not stubborn. Wuyunbao, they are not yun, um, violent and deluded. They're not murky, right? So this is a result of the cultivation that they have done. Sheman, they get rid of pride. Li Chan, they don't flatter. They don't uh, toady up to people. Xin Tiao Rou, their minds are soft. Zhuan Gong Jing Qin, Bu Tui Zhuan. They are really, really work, they work really hard and they don't go back any longer. They reach the state of uh, no retreat, abhivartika. Okay, look at this. This is so interesting. Um, once you see, once somebody points out to you um, a real cultivator, you you can't be patient with phonies anymore. Um, or let's say it differently. Once, once you see a real cultivator, you can spot pretension. <laughs> you can see the phonies. And what are the phonies like? The phonies put on a style. Phony cultivators are hard. They have edges. They have surface. They have things that catch your eye. They flash. They give you uh, discrepancies. You can. So you're not 
they're not consistent. Yeah, I'm losing my battery. Battery is not consistent. You know? No, I got battery. I heard my voice go in and out. Okay, no problem. I got battery. So, my battery is consistent. It is not a phony. <laughs> Be true. So, what's a, what's a real cultivator like? Um, we went to see... Um, Master Hua took us to see Shou Ye, Lao Ho Shan. I talked about him two weeks ago. He was, uh, he was considered a major Avatamsaka practitioner. He's the one who wrote out the Avatamsaka Sutra twice in his own blood. Right? Now, I'm not recommending that practice. Kids, don't try it at home. You understand? Nobody here is going to say, well, you told us that that was a real cultivator. All right. Master Shoya was uh, uneducated, quote, right? Um, tough guy. Tough. And he left home and had heard, I'm, I won't tell you his whole story because I, I did the other last time, but he, he was kind of rough cut, diamond in the rough. He resolved that he was going to write out the entire Abhatamsaka Sutra in his blood, never having seen anybody do it. He just started out. And uh, his, he was unable to write characters. He, his albeit so were not skillful. But he would just copy, you know, and the first ones were like, not, not Zheng, you know. And he ran out of blood two-thirds of the way through. He would cut his tongue, huh? yeah, yeah, and catch the blood, and then write, you know, and until, guess what? Blood in the dish coagulates, it gets thick, it dries, you know. There was no refrigerator, you know. He was out on the mountain, Wu Taishan. And he, you know, yeah. And his day after day after day, he ran out of blood. He wasn't finished. He had more sutra to copy, and the doctor said, you keep that up, you're going to die. Because you're anemic now. And he was like thin and pale and... He was determined, though. And after about six months, the characters, excuse me, <coughs> the characters got really beautiful, square and precise. And he got really, and he said, this is the best thing I've ever done. If I die, I'd rather die doing this than living and doing anything else. He said, I'm going to continue. I don't care, he said. And... His complexion turned red, and the blood was abundant, and he finished. <laughs> and all the doctors go, how did that happen? You know. And so what did he do? He said, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so I think at that time he cut his finger, and he'd like, you know. And he got, he learned how to, to thin the blood just enough and he character a little smaller this time, not quite as big. And he wrote the whole thing out. And there it was in the, in the Buddha hall of his temple in Chinatown, New York. Two huge stacks of Avatamsaka sutras in slightly reddish characters, you know. Like I say, don't, don't try it at home. Talk to me before you cut your tongue to break. Okay. So Shurfu took us down there. To, to visit him in Chinatown. In, did you ever, did you see him, his, Phil? Did you ever see that temple? Okay. Pretty amazing. And uh, so, 
Master Shou Ye, what did he look like? He looked like um, he looked like the uncle who would come to the reunion and sit in the corner and smile a lot. You kind of knew he was there, but you kind of didn't pay attention to him. But if you looked at him, you realized his eyes were seeing everything. His eyes were very, very bright. There was nothing he missed. And yet, if you didn't pay attention to him, somebody would say, was uh, Uncle Harry there? Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he was there, yeah. Everybody see Uncle? Yeah, Harry was there. But you didn't notice why he didn't stand out. He was round. You know, everything about him. But if you noticed what he did, never made a false move, never wasted a thing, never made a mistake. Everything just enough, just right, right on time. That was Master Shoye. And then when there's a moment when he has to act, fills the room. There was a, we went, we went to lunch in the basement of his temple. And there was a monk who uh, was a, a blowhard. There was a show-off monk, you know, who was like out to kind of like a gunfighter, come in to match, you know, the, the two old masters, Shurfu and Master Shoya. And this, this guy was like really loud and really arrogant. And uh, when uh, he, he made a really... Uh, offhand comment, and the opportunity arose to teach him. And uh, I remember Shurfu took a took a steak knife from or a, 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 a knife from the table, where <laughs> he said, "Cut it off!" and smashed the knife down on the table. And this guy was like, ah! he was totally scared. And Shouye, Master Shouye, just moved. I remember seeing him move, and it was so fluid. It was kind of like slow motion and he it but it was perfect and this guy was on his way out the door before he even knew that he'd been lifted out of his chair and sent up the stairs and he's kind of like how did i get here you know and it was this master show who responded perfectly on time to get this guy out of the way you know and it was i'm, I'm sitting here this brand new monk you know kind of like watching these two old masters move and it was like okay uncle harry's got some moves you know <laughs> he just you totally unassuming and yet when the time comes every gesture was just right just enough right on time that's the Tao, and it doesn't show you know there's it doesn't show off so that's what he's like. He reveres honor virtuous ones. He cultivates their dharmas. He knows kindness. He's easily easy to teach. Because why? He wants to learn to help living beings. He's never annoyed. He's got no pride. He's very soft, very round. He looks like he's been worked on. You know, he's looked beaten up. He won't flatter you. He's very tame. He's very soft in his mind. And yet he is always cultivating and never retreats. That's the Bodhisattva on the fourth ground. And he is vigorous. So when you meet somebody who tells you they have psychic powers and that they, you know, are going to uh, 
help you out. It's going to cost you a little bit, but it's worth it. You know, it's like they're charging for their service. They want you to know that they're a bodhisattva. You know, you go, hmm, I think I'm going to go home and meditate. Thanks, you know. Junren, Lo Xiang, Lo Xiang, Fei Junren. The true ones don't show you. If they show you, they're not true. So, there we go. We have one more lecture on the fourth. Let's see. I'm saying that. We got one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, one, two, three, four. Okay. Yeah, we have a little, a little, little more. We'll either next Saturday or the following Saturday. We'll finish fourth ground and start on the fifth. Okay, uh, time to transfer merit. Let's do that with a heart that reaches the Dharma realm. So transference is, um, I'm explaining that, I'll be explaining the 10 transferences chapter tomorrow night up at CTTB. And my understanding of transference has just had a, a whole new A whole new twist put on it because of my journey to the Bahamas where I realized that's the one I realized the Bodhisattva makes worlds out of his vows. We're talking about the creation of the worlds, and the Bodhisattva goes, May I take this merit and virtue and create the Buddha's pure land. Adorn doesn't mean adorn, it means make. And by seeing it that way, I realize I can't explain that. I could have said to the participants in that conference, you want to know the Buddhist theory of creativity? Use your mind to make a world with the merit and virtue. And if somebody said, how? I would have said, vow power. What does that mean? Try it. (laughs) That's my best answer. You can do it. I don't know. That's what it means. We've been saying adorn, adorn for Zhuangyin. It doesn't mean paint. Adorn to me meant put a wreath on it, you know, put a bow on it. Make it pretty. It's not. It means to make. I transfer merit and virtue to make a pure land. We're going to Buddha Root Farm to talk about Medicine Buddha, right? Whose vows create this incredible world. 
So how interesting. I say my whole understanding of transference has now taken on another dimension, which is the Bodhisattva makes worlds with his vows, with her vows. I'm going to make a pure land. So at the end of life, you can go there. There's no suffering. What are you doing with your weekend? <laughs> I'm making a world. Yeah, go for it. want my mom to go there, so she won't suffer either. Anyway, how wonderful. So let's transfer the merit. You transfer it the way you want to. Compassionate and wise. 